teach people that, you know, when you meet somebody, share a little bit about your story, your project, and it doesn't have to be the first conversation because the first conversation really is, if this is a, a person of influence, is to get a second date. But if you share a bit about your story, where you're going, what you need, and then you ask, what other ideas do you have for me? And who else do you know I should talk to? And, and this is really how I've built a, a, a wonderful uh, network. Hello, you're listening to I Want Our Job, the podcast. Our guest today is known as the Power Connector. She's one of those people who has built a broad and diverse network of connections, and she feels strongly about using that network to help others. So the interesting thing about Judy is she started her career as a social worker from Franklin, Idaho. And until her 40s, Judy felt she wasn't cute enough, smart enough, she didn't go to the elite schools. But after some time in the corporate world, when she decided to leave social work, Judy started to realize connections are everything. And in today's conversation, Judy shares tips from her book on how to be a power connector and how she built her network. And we love Judy's simple reminders to talk to more people, that we should focus on building a network diverse in industries, locations, interests. We should actively reach out to people who are in circles entirely different from ours. And the key to success is to remember that every time you meet someone you want to connect with, you should be thinking, how can I help this person? Today, Judy is an investor in startups and author. She sits on boards. And we talk about how she went from an Idaho social worker to respected power connector. So here's Judy telling us how she got on her path. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I was I was bullied in junior high. And, and by the time I got to the corporate world, um, you know, I had to go to events and I would show up late and I would leave early. Um, I just felt like I didn't have anything to offer. Why would people want to talk to me, particularly strangers? And what really hit home for me in the corporate world was I had been taught, like research shows, if you've been raised lower to middle class, you know, keep your head down, work hard, people will, will notice. And I, I looked around and I found out people weren't really noticing and that people <laughs> that weren't working as hard and taking Friday afternoons off to go play golf were getting promoted. And I discovered that underneath the, um, uh, the regular org chart was this entire power structure and, and this network of influencers. And uh, I picked up the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and started saying hello and found out, geez, some people liked me just fine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, started talking more to people and just taking little steps like that and slowly kind of worked my way out of being shy and out of my, my shell. And I'm to the point now that, you know, I, I interrupt people at Starbucks if I think I can help them if I overhear a conversation. I love that. So your book reminds us that it's not the number of contacts we have, but the ones we turn into lasting relationships. And so can you walk us through how is it that you end up turning a contact into a lasting relationship? Well, research again shows that if you meet a stranger, you look for two things. And the first one is a level of warmth because you don't want someone that's going to kill you. And, and the second is a level of competency. And then I add a third, generosity. Uh, because just because people can help you doesn't mean they, they will. And so I, I learned early on that, you know, there's some dangerous people out there. And so I try to avoid what I call the dark triad, the Machiavellian, the, the narcissistic, the sociopaths. 
and and really focus on people who will have my back and will have my future. Like I used to say that I only let people in my network who had a good head, a good heart, and a good gut. And I boiled it down to, is this person an Oprah or a Martha Stewart? And, you know, they're both billionaires. They're really good at what they do. But if I had to have one that I'd trust with my life, it would be Oprah. Hmm. And and the reason my focus is so much on quality is research shows that groups fall apart at 150. And now we see articles that show up in the Harvard Business Review that says it takes 10 to 14 people to have a highly successful career. There was a study that was done on wealth managers who pocket a million annually in fees and have for 20 years and found out they had four core relationships. Wow. And so it does need to be focused on quality. I had a fellow call me. He said he had 40,000 people in a database and he was going to send out Christmas cards. And I just asked him, how many of those people who have ever really helped you? And it was less than 10. Mm-hmm. So it needs to really be focused on on quality. It, it also needs to be robust, meaning that people will return your call or you know answer the phone when you call. Uh, it also needs to be across different, whether it's industries or geographically, and with people that have gravitas, have influence that can help you make things happen. Got it. If you were going to summarize your book, for when I read it, I, for me, it was such a good example of building lasting relationships and remembering to always look for how you can help people because we hear so much about mentorships and networking, but I feel like your book just kept repeating on find a way to add value. So if you were going to summarize your book to somebody, how would you define um, the, the major theme? You know, I think you've hit it on the head. And, um, you know, when I figured out that other people had problems, um, it just wasn't me. Everybody's got problems. As long as you're alive, you're going to have problems. That was kind of an eye opener. And I decided that the way I could add value is by helping other people. And I always like solving problems. Mm-hmm. And I've been amazed that every situation that that you will come into contact with is involved with people who have problems. Um, and you know, this is how I got Mark Burnett to endorse my book and I didn't know him. I figured out how I could add value. And so I would sum it up by saying that every individual has gifts, but you can do very little by yourself. And there's no lack of resources in the world. There's 369 trillion of private household wealth. There's countless opportunities, ideas, and 7.4 billion people. But your job is to be really clear on your goal and what resources you're going to need. Because what I find is most people are in the wrong room. And so it doesn't matter if you're raising money, trying to build your business, you need to understand the ecosystem, you know, understand the lay of the land. One of my favorite quotes is by Einstein, who said, if you're going to play the game, you'd better know the rules. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a little long-winded, but, you know, you you win always when you're generous, helpful, adding value to other people. And it may not come back from that person, but it always comes back to you. Got it. Yeah, and so for those people that are listening, I just want to remind everyone, your book, you're, you're showing people what's worked for you to become a power connector, somebody that's so highly respected. And so in your book, you say when you engage with others, by looking for their gifts and problems, and when you seek to understand and add value consistently, you build profound relationships. And I'm curious, so when you meet someone new, what thoughts start to run through your mind around how you're going to help them succeed? 
Um, you know, I start thinking about where they're going, what their goal is, and then think about if I have ideas or suggestions that could be helpful, if I have people that I could connect them to that would be helpful, if I could recommend a book for them, if I have information that I could share with them. And I usually have a yes on all of those, on everybody that, that I meet. And what happens is some of those people will never follow back up with you, and so they're kind of automatically out. Um, some people will be really slow to respond, and, and I kind of have the three strikes and you're out rule. You know, I will give people kind of uh, uh, three times, but you find, you find out quickly that there's only about the top 5% of people that will really uh, follow through, but that, that's what I do. So I, I teach people that, you know, when you meet somebody, share a little bit about your story, your project, and it doesn't have to be the first conversation because the first conversation really is if this is a, a person of influence is to get a second date. But if you share a bit about your story, where you're going, what you need, and then you ask, what other ideas do you have for me? And who else do you know I should talk to? And, and this is really how I've built a, uh, a wonderful uh, network. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. Two weeks ago, I was asked to come judge a pitch event with Kevin Harrington. He was one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. And I've been to the White House twice this past year. Don't know that I'll get invited to the next one, but, <laughs> um, but um, you know, it is by adding value and, and helping others. And I love that. And I wrote that down from your book and, and my notebook to always um, to remember to end emails with, uh, who else can I talk to and other ideas for me? I thought that, w that was so simple, easy to remember, and so powerful. And like you said, are you saying that those two things have just multiplied your success? Absolutely, because you find out that, you know, um, do people have uh, influence? Are they willing to share their connections? Are, are they generous? Got is it. it somebody you want to be involved in your life? Got it. And and so you're saying that those that don't reply, then they kind of automatically are defaulted out of your network, right? Yeah. Well, you know, if if they don't get back to me, then yeah. you know I'm not going to hound people. Sure. Uh, and I usually will, you know, send out a couple of articles that I can find or say, hey, how you doing? Haven't heard back because once in a while something horrid happens, like you know somebody's in an accident or or ill. Sure. And I just want to go back to that. So when you, when you, you recommend when you meet new people, and I love this, you, you say, don't start with work. Ta ta ask them about their family, their interests, really get to know what lights them up. Um, and I think a lot of times we do just automatically go to what do you do for work. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is important. Um, you know, I've heard people say the, the most important things to people are their family, their health, and their money. And, and I often add pets. I, hmm. You know, when people talk about their pets, I have nine pet chickens. I have a yearling horse and, you know, a few cats. But um, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, people are looking for authentic human beings and people that they can trust. And so the more you're willing to open up, show a little vulnerability, be humble, tell a little about yourself personally, um, then that really helps build the relationship much faster. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to talk about the impact that volunteer work made in your career because when I read about how you uh, you volunteered to work on the finance committee for the United Way and that gave you experience managing a $3 million budget, which helped you land the next job, and I just thought this was such brilliant advice. And can you talk to us about, 
your experience and how volunteering can be a way to really build networks and experience? Yeah. So, you know, I was always perplexed that, uh, you know, you can't get the job unless you have the experience, but you can't, you know, get the experience unless you have the job. And so I figured out that, um, you know, I needed to learn budgets and, and how to do finance and, and didn't know how and had the opportunity. I had met a couple of people who'd been involved with the United Way and I just volunteered and said I'd love to come and help. And, and that helped me um, add that really significant line on my resume that uh, got me about a 45,000 a year uh, raise from my previous job. And so that's a, a great way. And what you find is many of these organizations have the movers and the shakers. It's the people that are in leadership in the communities. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Lions Club or, you know, the Chamber of Commerce or private curated groups. And that's the one that people often miss. And, you know, Renaissance Weekend, Alley to the Valley, even in industry or business type groups, I'll often tell people to go to the Association of Corporate Growth that has CXO level leaders from across all different industries. And these organizations are global. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, they're in, in all the good sized uh, cities. Such great advice to volunteer more, seek out organizations, which leads me to the other part of your book that I loved so much. And that's about the diversity of people in our networks. And we're wired to seek people like ourselves, but your book really reminds us that a network filled with people just like us is not what we need for our professional creative lives. Um, and that can actually limit our success. Can you talk to us about some of the things that you do to build a broader network and advice for um, people who, who want to do so but are already so busy with, with their lives? What would you say to them? Yeah, well, I, I would say uh, get out of your comfort zone. Um, take a couple of baby steps and go to a couple of these groups or organizations that you typically don't go to. And what happens is people will call me all the time and they go, oh my gosh, I'm so shocked. I just lost my job. Now what do I do? And they've not built a network to reach out to. Or I've got this great idea to start a business and I don't know anybody that's got money. And so, you know, I'll often have people just take out a piece of paper and write the 25 to 50 people that are in their network. Now the first five to 15 are your close friends and family. Those are known as strong links. They know all the same people you do, so they're not very helpful. So it's that next group out. And then if you kind of look at that and say, do I have people in media? Do I have connections to money, to politics, to different industries? Then when you need whatever resource it is for your goal, then you can pick up the phone or send out a, an email. And, and I do that, and, and what, what has happened to me, I've, um, you know, like I said, been to the White House twice this year, is then you're at these private curated groups, well, everybody in the room are people that are uh, influencers, leaders, and just make sure that, that I connect with some of those people and those that have the same values or uh, maybe related to some of the kind of projects I'm, I'm working on. And then I work at developing those relationships. I get back to people very quickly. I, you know, will make an introduction, do some value adds very specifically to that person yeah. to show them I'm valuable to have in their network. Yeah. And just even so, so important today with our divided political environment. I love your advice to, to seek relationships with people in different locations, religions, cultures, interests. Um, 
And can you give examples of how you've seen people do this in really creative ways or unexpected ways? Yeah, so probably the best way is to talk to strangers. <laughs> and, and research shows we only talk to strangers 2 to 3% of the time, and it's really sad. I mean, I've met billionaires on hiking trails in Park City. Hmm. And um, so if you make it a point to say hello, smile at people, start, you know, little light chit-chat, it's amazing who you're going to meet. And make sure that everybody in your network isn't just like you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it can be in a grocery line. It can be at the bank. You know, do go to a conference. Try to get out of whatever your normal sphere is and uh, participate so that you can, you know, rub shoulders with people who are different than you, who are in these other uh, circles of influence. Because at some point, you're going to need those people. Yeah. And um, you, you, and I like how you remind us um, that, so before, let's talk about your give, give, ask, and how before you ask for something um, to give things. And I like how you give the analogy of not asking a connection for something. It's like coming to speed dating with an engagement ring. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so, and then, so when you've connected with someone, you provided some sort of value, which you say would be um, advice for them, maybe a connection. And you do this a couple times before you ask them, correct? Mm -hmm. What's your advice for after you've given somebody value and then how do you keep uh, building that relationship? Well, you know, it, it is the law of reci reciprocity. Mm -hmm. and, and so when you help people, they are usually so stunned <laughs> because <laughs> few people do it that they then want to give back to you and, and often will say, how can I help you? Now, I went out of my way to uh, find out how I could help Mark Burnett found out what he needed, uh, was able to have a meeting with him. And, you know, about 15 minutes in the conversation after I'd said, Mark, I'd suggest you do this and this and this. He said, who are you? And then I, I, he said, is there anything I could help you with? And I said, oh, I've got this book coming out. Would you be willing to take a look and possibly endorse it? And he said, absolutely. And then he said, you know, I could get it to Oprah to you also. Mm -hmm. And so what you find wow. is that if you just help people, they will help you back. And, and you do have to educate people a little bit about who you are so they know how to help. And um, so you can, you know, give them ideas. You know, if somebody says to me, oh, my gosh, I'm going to I'm thinking about writing a book. Well, I instantly um, go to one of my email folders and I pull out the proposal guidelines that, that my agent, who's one of the best there is, um, shared with me, and I get that to them, plus a book proposal that I've got, and have them look at that, and then have them send back information and see if they would like to talk to an agent or someone I know at McGraw-Hill. Mm -hmm. And so that's, um, you know, kind of a little snapshot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, yeah, I can see why you're so helpful. And I, and I, I really recommend your book because you, you give examples of when you are asking for something, you talk about, you know, how to do it, like starting small, um, being specific and building it around a passion. So just really great advice. Um, and you also give advice for connecting on LinkedIn. Can you give us a few great tips? Yeah. So, you know, people are on LinkedIn because they want to network with other people. <laughs> so, uh, I've never had anybody turn me down on a request or, or a question. So the first thing to do is, 
If um, you have somebody in mind, then do a little research on them, find out what their interests are, where they're at in life, um, how you might be able to have a connection with them. Why, why is it that you would like to reach out to them? And then give some thought when you just jot a short email to them saying, I came across your LinkedIn profile. I see you're involved in blah, blah, blah. I'm also doing this and this and this. I'd love to have an opportunity to talk with you. Might you have time to, to talk next week? And um, never have had anybody turn me down. But you make sure that you've done some homework and that you're not, you know, every once in a while I'll get an email from someone saying, oh, I see you're an investor. Could you give me a million dollars? Well, no, I don't even know who you are. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, are you kidding? Um, so people have to know you, like you, and trust you. So everything you do says who you are. And that's in reaching out to people, follow them on Twitter. Um, you know, they'll tell you who they are. So you can get a good picture of who these people are by Googling, getting on LinkedIn, getting on Twitter, and then you can determine how you could be helpful to them. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I love this quote from your book that a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Um, and it just reminded me that, you know, how much we have to gain for us and for everyone else by giving. Um, so that's why I appreciated your message so much. Anything else that you'd want to share um, with other listeners about just the power of, and I think it's just being more intent, being more mindful of connecting, like with purpose versus just meeting someone and letting it slide. <laughs> yeah, I think being kind and part of that being kind is a follow-up. And if all, all you do is say, you know, really enjoyed talking to you day to day, having lunch with you or whatever, that, that you be gracious and, and you be kind. And, and that will come back to you tenfold. Uh, and if people don't get back to you, that's fine. Other people have other lives. And, and if they don't have time, then, you know, you just say next because there's, there's wonderful people out there that would love to help you if you ask and if you get in the, in the right room. And so, you know, really important that if you're hearing no five or six times, uh, you're probably fishing in the wrong pond. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so that's an important key. Got it. And talk to us. So what are you uh, consulting and investing your uh, primary um, jobs right now? Yeah. So I'm coming out with the, my second book will be Crack the Funding Code. And I have a program that I teach people how to get funded. Uh, which I absolutely love to do. I sit on venture capital boards and, and accelerators helping people get funded. Um, and I love to help grow companies. But, if, you know, if I find a great human being, um, I love to help. And, and nothing makes me happier than being able to solve a problem. And so if you come to a problem with the mindset that all the resources are out there, and it's kind of a game. It's like you've got A and B, you don't have C and D, how do we get to E? And, and I can make that happen. And, and anybody else can too. So part of it is being scrappy. And, and I always tell people, whether they're starting a new company or whatever, it really is learn, pivot, and persist. And so, you know, you, you keep learning. That one's really, really critical. And then you just realize that everything you need is connected to another human being. And so emotional IQ skills are important. So if you don't talk to strangers, just make it a point of saying hi and hello. 
Um, the, the way that I approach strangers, when I did the book, um, I had to really think about how did I go from this kid that went to the same high school that they filmed Napoleon Dynamite movie. Did you really? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> to, you know, I've, I've been on pitch events with Mark Cuban, all of these kind of things that, you know, make me chuckle some days. And um, it, it is just a, a slow process of, you know, learning and growing and taking a little risk. And it's really hard for most people to ask. And and the reality is that most people would love to help you, so ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an easy ask to say, what other ideas do you have for me? That's a really easy ask. And most people will tell you, and they're they're thrilled that you would want their advice. Yeah, and I and I love that you said it's a slow process because I feel like everywhere it's this how do I, you know, make a multi-million dollar startup quickly and and you mentioned it's a slow process. Can you tell us how did it how did it ramp up for you so you went from um when you you know the let's say a little bit of your timeline from the United Way to how did you end up getting your first job as an investor? Oh, well, um, I was in the corporate world and, and was giving a speech at MIT on leadership and somebody handed me a Wall Street Journal and there was an article on how to become financially independent in America. And they had done a study and identified there were five ways, be a doctor, a lawyer, inherit it, or marry it. And I thought, well, those are out. <laughs> and the, the fifth one was start a business. And I went, start a business? How hard could it be? Well, you know, dumb me, I got a million SBA loan and started a franchise restaurant. Like, hello, I'd never even worked in a restaurant. How stupid. What what kind of restaurant was it? It it was uh, Elmer's Pancake and Steakhouse. They're headquartered in Portland, Oregon. You know, wonderful menus, uh, built a huge facility, um, you know, learned how to run that. And at, at one point thought I was going bankrupt, you know, went to an attorney and just shaking. I was so terrified. And, and he said, you know, they can break you, but they can't eat you. And that really helped me kick fear to the curb. And then I sold that business. And then other people started coming to me saying they needed help with their businesses. And I was approached by a company that was public. Um, it had been kicked it, kicked off the, uh, um, you know, the market. Um they had no money and they were in litigation and and they asked me to become the CEO and I thought, okay, this could be a challenge. And so I did that for nine years, um, raised millions of of dollars and then was asked to vet this unknown company in Park City called Skull Candy. Uh, When they also were broke, just had a quarter of a million in sales, nobody believed the founder who had been bankrupt a couple of times would really uh, be successful. You know, I, I helped him uh, with his first controller and, and some investors and you know, went public a, a year and a half ago with a market cap of just less than half a billion. Wow. And so then I could see that getting involved as an angel investor um, was a good way to make some money. And then I joined Golden Seeds, which is the third largest angel investor group in the United States. And and I did that for uh, a year and then uh, went forward with serving on VC boards. Amazing. And and so the first restaurant, how many years did you run that? Oh, nine years. I mean, I was a slow learner. So I worked really (laughs) 
hard and uh, you know I kept thinking that the harder I worked you know it would just work out well it wasn't working out and you know I was um, you know I I look back at that thinking how could I have been so naive that but sometimes it's really hard to know whether you should you know uh, fold the cards as they say <laughs> Um, but you know, the nine years of being the CEO, I, I made a, a lot of money and that opened doors for me where I could start investing into some early startups. Uh, and, and that's how I got going. And now there's ample opportunity. I tell everybody, go visit some angel groups. And this is another way to get out of your, your comfort zone. There's 300 angel groups across the United States, no lack of investors. Wow. Can you tell us about some of your early experience that has led to your success today? And, you know, I think it depends on, uh, I would have never predicted that I would be where I am today. I mean, I started life as a social worker. I didn't think I was smart. I mean, they told me I wasn't smart enough to go to college when I was in high school. I've always been an avid learner, and I like taking risk. And, um, and so I've, I've always been willing to learn and to grow. And of course, I wanted to be financially independent. When I finally found out it had everything to do with equity, uh, I'd never been taught that. I'd been taught, um, you know, work hard, retire, get a job that's got great benefits, you know, make other people rich, kind of like Rich Dad Poor Dad teaches. And so it was an eye opener for me. And so I would, you know, tell people to be really clear on your goals. And, and I just recently read, and I think this is really good, if you want to double your income, you can work twice as hard, delegate to other people. But if you want to make 10 times what you are now, you need a different business model. And so, you know, it's important to look at your goals and what you want to do in life. And, and certainly, you know, I did a lot of just simply muddling through. You know, I didn't know, uh, I couldn't stand watching kids being abused and raped. So decided I couldn't be a social worker, went back and got a master's in, in economics uh, went to the corporate world, then, you know, kind of jumped off um, uh, to, to learn the first business. And I just kept learning and having some faith. Um, and, you know, it, it is true. There's very few things that can kill you. So I tell people, kick fear to the curb and find a mentor or find someone who will help you. And most people out there will help you if you ask. That is such good advice. And, and I think, it's so important because you said lifelong learner and being comfortable with risk. And um, I think not a lot of people are. So when you were there times when you mentioned the risk that um, you you just like weren't making the money, you didn't know this, you know, the financial stability of your future and and were you, and you were comfortable or able to just stay with that for a while. Is that correct? Yeah. So, you know, I, I got smart enough to surround myself with good people. And, and that's another trick is we all have blind spots and other people can see things we can't see. And so, I mean, it really was uh, stupid for me to start a restaurant never having worked in one, just, you know, thinking I was going to work hard and I could learn it all. Uh, you know, that was a mistake. And so I got smarter at doing due diligence on projects, on the people involved in those projects. Like if you're going to find an investor, you better make sure, you know, that they're an angel and not a devil, or if it's a venture capitalist, they're not a vulture. And so I got smarter instead of being too overly optimistic 
because um, I had been raised pretty sheltered, honestly. And so when I started doing more due diligence and then realizing, you know, there's, as Oppenheimer said, there's too much for any man to know much anymore, that it takes a, a team and getting insights from others so that I didn't get blindsided or get bricks to the head. But I always knew that, you know, if all else failed, I could just get a job. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Um, I, I just love your story. Um, thank you so much for sharing it. And anything else, maybe books you'd recommend um, for for people? Or uh, are there other causes that you're passionate about that you want to talk about? Yeah, well, the first book I would, recognize, I would recommend is Resilience by Eric Grettens, who was a Navy SEAL, and he's also an Oxford grad. And there is a difference between resilience and grit. And, and, you know, you get those from going through difficult times. And, you know, I don't worry so much about failure. I, I mean, when I was younger, I think I did. It was so important to get good grades in school and get everything right and color in between the lines. But the reality is, if you don't take risk and you're worried about failure, you're not going to learn. There's only so much you can learn from books. You know, somebody uh, said to me, I can learn everything from books. And it's kind of like, really? Well, tell me the difference uh, reading a book about sex and having sex. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really blatant. But but the truth is, and, and I also read a quote that said, you can, you know, read books for three months and talk to an expert and find out more in 30 minutes. And so it really is important to learn from other people and the best people uh, you know everybody's got opinions but you know if you're going to start a company talk to somebody who's successfully started a company you know if you want to climb the corporate ladder find somebody who's successfully done that so you're careful who you take advice from you also want to learn you know what your strengths are ask three to four people what the best things are about you most people are just stunned to find out that you know, everybody else knew something about them but themselves. I mean, when I was in my 30s and started telling people I was shy, they literally laughed. <laughs> and, you know, so here I thought I was shy, didn't dare talk to people, and everybody saw me as kind of this, um, you know, adventurous soul who, um, you know, loved people. And, and I didn't see that. And then I had to rethink my beliefs and my assumptions uh, another thing that I have people do is called the victory log. Just get out a piece of paper and write victory log and a number from 1 to 50. And write down things you're proud you've accomplished, little things or medium things or big things. I've got on it when I made 30000 a year and when I made 300000 a year. I've got down when I did a first trip to Mexico and when I'd done 40 trips to Europe, to India, to, you know, uh, to the White House. And you review that. And by looking at that, you start seeing a progression. And, uh, and, and then you realize, you know, you can always learn and grow. And there's wonderful surprises around the corners of life. But if you're not out of the house or out of front of the TV, you're not going to find them. Such excellent advice. And you, I didn't ask you your early influences. Did you spend your childhood in Idaho? And tell us a little about uh, your family and, and parents. Okay, so um, my parents were, my father was in the military, so I lived all over for about the first 10 years of my life, and then he retired to my mom's hometown, Franklin, Idaho, population 300, <laughs> and uh, I was in shock, disbelief, the, the last military base we had been on was um, Shepherd Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas, so I was used to 
larger cities and, and communities. But, of course, I now love the mountains and horseback ride in the mountains and hike Yellowstone. Um, and so the, the local people in town were really hardworking. It, it's a Mormon community, LDS um, I kind of got in, adopted uh, by all the neighbors, and so those people I learned a, a great deal from. And then as I got into college, I had a couple of professors that were very helpful, and then when I went to the corporate world, again, had uh, wonderful people who, who provided some, some guidance uh, for me that made a tremendous difference in my world. Larry Spilker, who's now deceased, was the head of the legal counsel at the Idaho National Engineering Lab. We had Westinghouse as one of our prime contractors. And he's the first guy that said to me, you need to buy stock. I didn't even know about stock. <laughs> and that's where I learned about equity. And how funny that here, that's what I do, you know, mm-hmm. is, is I'm all about startups and, and making sure that people create value because really the, the way to wealth is, is equity. Uh, And that's why people, I mean, people that have a lot of money, their problem is they're looking for great investments. I mean, every problem has got a solution and it's just getting in the right room. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, We're going to link to all your advice and the books you recommended and your new book. Um, And we hope to talk to you again because your story is amazing. Um, Thank you. Well, thank you. And feel free to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a heavily Twitter person and and uh, my email is judy at judyrobinette.com. No E on the end of Robinette. And happy to help. 